The ruling classes would have spoken Norman French, and the clergy used Latin, in which virtually all documents were written. And now, The Noble Outlaw. Chapter 1. Exeter, December 1195. In which Crowner John goes back to school. Even Thomas de Payne, still squeamish after serving for more than a year as coroner's clerk, found little to upset him in the appearance of this particular corpse. What little flesh that could be seen reminded him more of the cheap dried cod that hung from the fishmonger's stalls than of a human being. The leathery face and shriveled hands protruding from the mouldering clothes looked unreal, like some amateur wood-carving. "'Been here some time, Crowner?' boomed the broad Cornish accent of Gwyn of Polruan, the coroner's officer and right-hand man. "'Dried up like an old boot, not a trace of corruption about him.' They stood with their master in the back yard of a house in Exeter's Smithen Street, a lane that ran down to Stepcott Hill and the city wall in the southern part of the city. It got its name from the number of smiths' forges and metalworking shops that lay along its length, though a few of the burgages, like the one they were in now, had recently been turned into places of education. Behind the main building, which fronted onto the street itself, was a yard with a large outhouse which had been the forge. A square box, it was built of cob, plastered on to woven withies held between oak frames. It had a large chamber at ground level, where until recently the furnace and anvil stood. The old forge was roofed with stone tiles, as thatch was too hazardous to use so near the flames and sparks of a smithy. Under this roof lay a loft, formerly used for storing iron rods and strips, reached by a crude ladder in the corner. It was there that the corpse had been discovered an hour earlier, before being dragged down to the yard, causing the short-tempered coroner to be incensed even before he had started his investigation. "'For God's sake, does no one ever obey the law?' snapped Sir John de Wolfe, glaring at the discomfited James Anglicus, the magister of this establishment, one of the new schools in Smithen Street. When a dead body is found, it must be left exactly where it was until a coroner can view it in its original surroundings. He scowled around at the gaping onlookers. Who was the first finder? He rasped irritably. Magister Anglicus, a mournful middle-aged man in a long cassock of clerical appearance, pointed at a stringy artisan of about the same age, his fustian tunic tucked up between his bare legs and held in place by a leather belt. Roger Short here discovered the cadaver. He's the builder that is turning the old forge into another lecture room for me. Roger touched his grubby woolen cap in deference to the coroner. Proper shock it was, sir, he gabbled, displaying a mouthful of rotten black stumps. I went to pull up those old boards that floor the loft to give more headroom. There was a heap of old wood in the angle between the roof rafters and the floor. 
When I pulled it out, I found him lurking behind. He jabbed a thumb towards the body lying on the ground. My labourer and me hauled him down the ladder straight away, sir. We didn't know we wasn't supposed to, but no one could have got at him up there, tucked tight under the eaves. James Anglicus hurried back into the dialogue, anxious to head off any further criticism. Straight away I sent my servant Henry up to the castle to inform either you or the sheriff, Crowner. I could see no point in raising the hue and cry when obviously this poor creature has been dead for months. The hue and cry was supposed to be implemented whenever a crime was discovered, the four nearest households being knocked up to pursue any miscreant found red-handed at the scene. John DeWolf recognised that in this case, Anglicus...